Profiles in Teaching with Technology is a podcast series created by Music First, a company dedicated to providing world-class cloud-based tools, content, and classroom management platforms to music teachers around the world. Each episode features a K-12 music educator who uses technology to enhance their teaching in innovative ways. We'll discuss the what, why, and how of their technology integration and hopefully share some teaching strategies that you can use in your own classroom. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. There you'll be able to find out about all of our platforms, as well as sign up for a free 30-day trial. William Fleek has taught secondary music in the Michigan Public Schools for the past 17 years. Currently at Fowlerville High School, Mr. Vleek has also taught in Springport Public Schools. At Fowlerville, Mr. Vleek leads the band program and teaches classes in the history of rock and roll, ukulele, and songwriting. Mr. Vleek holds undergraduate and graduate degrees from Michigan State University. In 2018, he was elected as president-elect for the Michigan Music Education Association and is currently serving as president, a post he will hold until May of 2022. So this week, uh, in, in kind of a tribute to uh, the first day of spring, if you will. I'm very pleased uh, to uh, have Bill Vleek uh, join me on the podcast. Bill, thanks so much for being here. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Jim. You got it. So, Bill, I, I, I ran into you uh, a, a couple of months ago at the Michigan Music Conference uh, there in Grand Rapids, and uh, you came up to me after the session. We've, we've met a few times. And I, and I immediately uh, was impressed um, with you and your program and the kinds of things you're doing. So I'm really, really pleased uh, for you to share the kind of stuff you do with your students, with, with the listeners. But before we get into that, I'd love for you to give about a five or 10 minute overview of your path in music education. I've found with all the people that I interview, you know, everyone's come from a different angle. They play a different instrument. They sing those types. Of, if you can give us like the the, the five, 10 minute um, Reader's Digest version of your career, I, I think that's a great place to start. Sure. Happy to. So um, I am predominantly an, an instrumentalist. Trombone was my thing through through high school. And I, I went to what I guess would traditionally be considered your, like your successful band program. And in high school and we played at the state conferences and we played at Carnegie Hall and we, and we kind of did that thing. So uh, I went from there to Michigan State University where I got my undergraduate degree in music education and I played in the wind symphony, I played in the symphony orchestra. I kind of did that old kind of conservatory model of, of what we thought music educators should be. Yep. Um, I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be the next great band director, or I'm going to be the next great orchestra conductor, or that that was going to be my career path. And even conducting more specifically kind of focused a lot of studies in there. And, and so got into teaching with the full intention that, you know what, I'm going to spend a year or two in the classroom, I'm going to go get a master's degree. And then, you know, the world is is my uh, is my canvas, All right? And I and I taught my first year at this uh, smaller rural school uh, in in Mi- in Michigan, and just found I really kind of loved the relationship building, and it was a community that I was was completely foreign to me. I I came from a an upper middle class, uh, predominantly white suburb, and this rural 
community was something completely new to me. And I just absolutely fell in love with it. I fell in love with the people, with my colleagues, with the students, with the families. And so I kind of said, all right, you know what? Maybe we'll give this teaching thing a little, we'll just give this a couple of years. And I'm not going to say no to the, you know, the big illustrious career plans, but let's just give teaching a, a shot. And that was 17 years ago. Yeah, <laughs> and, um, and, and, and I'm not in that, that particular school anymore, but um, I, I was there for, for seven years and absolutely loved it. And, and I'm still teaching, but you know, one of the, one of those pivotal moments for me uh, at the music, the Michigan music conference that, that you mentioned we met at, um, there's a, a competition I, and I hate to say the word competition, there's an honors composition concert yep. uh, for students uh, K through 12 uh, to submit any, anything that they've written, songs, whatever. And, and a friend of mine grabbed me one year and said, hey, you got to come to this thing. And uh, I said, uh, okay, all right, sure, why not? And full disclosure, I thought I was going to sit down and hear theme and variations on Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Yep. And, I, and I sat down and two hours later, I have never felt like a more inferior musician <laughs> and I have never been more motivated to get back into the classroom and to rethink about what it meant to be a music teacher. What are we actually teaching? How do we know that they know what we're teaching? This whole concept of a lifelong learner. I mean, I just came out and my brain was moving a thousand miles an hour and it's really it's been a lot more fun <laughs> since then it's it, that that event is the highlight of my year every year uh, and so that kind of brings us kind of into the into the current situation I, I teach at a at a high school that's got about about 830 students in it uh, and I head up our band program I see two concert ensembles a day and we kind of combined to do the marching band and we do the jazz band and we do kind of the traditional stuff as well. Uh, but I also teach classes in ukulele and songwriting. And I teach a class in the history of rock and roll, both classes that I wrote and the school board was completely behind and, and loved the idea. So uh, really kind of here at, at, at Fowlerville High School, trying to make sure that we are, we are enabling a well-rounded musician that can do more than just play a scale on their instrument, that they can talk about music, they can make music, they can analyze music in its cultural context, they can do all of that stuff. And, you know, I'm finding that uh, it is more challenging at times, but I as a musician and I as a thinker and an active member of the music community, I get I get the motivation from the students. Like I, I'm trying to open doors for them, but the discussions we have because they're different every year because you have different kids. I come away enthused and I come away in it at the dinner table at home, talk about discussions we had in rock history or this lyric that this kid came up with and, and ukulele and songwriting. Sorry, that's a... No, that's so perfect. Out. I'm it's keeping perfect. that in. That is, <laughs> yes. Bill is in school right now doing I, this. I'm, that, I'm, living, I'm living the working man's life. So that's, that's kind of the Reader's Digest version of kind of where we, where we have, uh, where we started and where we're at now. And so before I go into other questions, there's a lot that I want to ask you about what you just said. Um, I am fascinated with the fact that you teach a ukulele or ukulele class, ukulele, sure. yeah, as, uh -huh. uh, as us non, uh, yes, 
and a songwriting class at the high school level. So yeah. I just want to focus on that for a minute because I would imagine, or at least I'm hoping that you would agree that that's not the normal um, teaching duties for a, you know, a traditional high school yeah. band director, traditional high school instrumental director. Um, you know, a lot of folks believe that, uh, you know, teaching that quote unquote general music style class is the worst thing you could do as, at the high school level. Um, it's kind of like a dumping ground where they put sure. all the kids who aren't in the ensembles. Um, but how long have you been teaching those two classes specifically? So the history of rock and roll class, I really, um, I started teaching that in, in my former job and I, I probably, oh, I bet I've been teaching that one for, in, in various contexts for probably eight or 10 years, the, oh, the ukulele and songwriting class um, has just been the past couple of years. And, and the inspiration behind that, so um, I'm going to give a shout out to our junior high uh, band director. His name is Josh Rolch and he's student taught with me here and he was doing the side project that he had to do for his undergraduate study and it was a songwriting club and he had been in bands in high school and he had done that and so I said yeah that sounds great man go ahead and do it and he said well you have to supervise it because you're my supervising teacher and I said not a problem at all and he said and and you of course will will have to will have to participate you know um you've written songs <laughs> before right and I said um no no I have no, I, I haven't written songs <laughs> And so me being in his class, I'll call it his class, right. uh, forced me as a musician to kind of develop. And so kind of that experience combined with, all right, let's take a look at the school population. And are we really trying to get to all students? When we say every student deserves a music education, are we just stopping that in fifth grade? Or are we really thinking about you know, the 17 year old who doesn't want to be in band, they need music too. And so how could we develop a class that would welcome all learners that would give them something that was easily accessible? You know, guitar is not as accessible for some people right. uh, that is cost effective. Let's be honest. Uh, a uke is a lot cheaper than a guitar. Uh, and so how can we delve into that element of the creative process and welcome all different types of populations in into my my classroom and we've had incredible success with it last semester uh, i had five students from our um our special education classroom our secluded or our, our, our isolated special education classroom and they came in and they were in ukulele and they loved it yeah. and we had so much fun and there's it's so easy to differentiate instruction and i tell you what man like the kids they like blow me away. They are such better musicians than I am. <laughs> and I you know, and I've got this degree that says that I'm supposed to be the expert in the room, but it is so cool to not be the expert in the room sometimes and oh, to kind of let them, let them take over. So, um, there's so again, I, I'm, I, I got, eventually I'll get to the questions, but I'm just so fascinated <laughs> sure. with this idea that um, there, there's two, two thoughts running in my head right now. The first is that uh, dear colleagues of mine, uh, Dr. Rick Dammers, Dr. David Williams had a, had a website called Musical Creativity, and they talked about the other 80% and this idea that 80% of uh, high school children are not in their music department and that we should broaden the tent. And it sounds like you're doing that, whether or not you've ever heard of that other 80%. Sure, yeah. Um, you're, you're doing it anyway. But there's another part where the, there's a fear among a lot of 
music educators, specifically at the high school level, that if they offer alternative types of music classes, that they'll drain the enrollment from yes. their choirs, their bands, sure. and the orchestras. Just your thoughts on that. Like, how is that at Fowlerville? Is, is, is it draining? Is, is it pulling kids away? Or are they taking both classes? How, how's it going? We have a lot of crossover. Right. A lot of cross. Now, now let's be honest, you know, if a student academically struggles and let's say they, they fail algebra two, you know, the, the school is not going to allow them to take songwriting instead of passing algebra two. Right. So, you know, th there's every now and then you'll get a student that you lose. But I think in, in the past five years, maybe I have had one student, maybe two who have left the instrumental program specifically to take one of the other classes. Um, I have a lot of students that leave the instrumental program. I shouldn't say a lot. I have students who leave the instrumental program because band is just not their thing. Right. And they do it with my blessing. Um, and I say, you know what, man, you're a great student and I love having you in class. Think about taking one of these other classes. And most of them do yep. because they really love talking about music and not talking about, and listen, I love Gustav Mahler like he is the greatest thing. I mean, huge Mahler fan. Right. But I also love talking about Kendrick Lamar. Yep. And I love talking about Childish Gambino. Yep. And I love talking about Taylor Swift. And the kids really respond to that. And they want, they want to know more about that. They want to talk about the culture and how it's affecting their day-to-day -day life because they're they're engaging in music far more than than I ever did because it's it's in their earbuds on their way to every single class. You know, I I I grew up in the era of the the Walkman and the Discman. Yep. And you didn't bring those to school. You did them on the on the bus ride to your cross country meet. But these kids are like, if a new album drops, they've listened to the new album three times in 48 hours and they want to talk about it. Yep. And so if I want to honor the musicianship that they're bringing into my room and I want to push them as a thinker, as a listener, as a creator, then that is where I need to meet them. And my ukulele class and my rock history class are great ways to do that with students who just don't feel like the band is their thing. We do these discussions in band as well, but that other 80%, like sometimes we have to go get them. They're not naturally going to come to us. That's right. So we, we got to find where that bridge is and really, really walk it. Yeah. Towards the end of my teaching career, which believe it or not is now 14 years ago that I stopped teaching middle school. I'm still teaching college, but, um, is very different. The fact that I knew the artists that the kids liked and could talk about them, they looked at me like I was like I was a superhero. They had they could not believe that I knew the music that they listened to. Yeah, and I sure. think that um, it's almost like teaching a game on video. You know, uh, teaching a course on video gaming, um, but you're teaching Atari. You know the original Atari yeah. twenty six hundred, and the kids are like, "Yeah, but we want to, we want to do Oculus stuff. We want to, you know, we want to do a PlayStation whatever eighteen, whatever version it is." And you're like, "No, no, no, we don't talk about that. That's new stuff. We're going to talk about this Atari thing where you, you there used to be Space Invaders." It's just, you know, that's an, a ridiculous example, but I'm trying to make it like 
we need to talk about the music that the kids are. I, so I knew I liked you, Bill. And, and just, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So now I got to get to the questions. Sure, um, sure. Which, let's start off by the, you know, the elephant in the room. And I cannot wait to stop talking about this. But, but you know, just in a nutshell, what happened with COVID at your school and, and where sure. are you today? Sure. So um, COVID, we, we obviously did the, the shutdown in March uh, of 2020. Um, and then we returned in the fall of, of 2020, uh, fully masked, did that whole thing. Um, and we, banned, we, went, we went to a block schedule. So normally my classes are about 55 minutes each. Uh, but when we returned in the fall of 2020, they turned into like uh, two hour blocks, but the band could only safely rehearse for 30 minutes at a time. And we did so in our auditorium and I was on stage, the percussion was behind me and the wind section was out in the house spaced way apart from each other. That is the worst thing I ever had to do. And I don't ever, ever, ever want to do it again. And I can't believe that kids stuck with the band. It was just <laughs> atrocious. Um, and so we we stayed uh, we stayed there uh, for a bit and did kind of concerts outside when we could do it, uh, but we then returned to in person instruction um, as it as it would quote unquote normally be thought of uh, this year. Okay. So uh, I teach in um, a relatively conservative minded town, uh, and so. The, the push to do that happened quite quick. Um, and so I am now currently teaching uh, in a school that's, we are, we are, if you walked in, it would be like it was 2018. Awesome. Um, yeah. And so maskless. we are, we are, we are maskless. We are um, everything. Our, our rates are incredibly low. I think probably because we hit the wave earlier than other schools did because right. of policies, but it is what it is. And I, I'm, you know, I think with a lot of teachers, we just got to the point where we couldn't spend any more emotional energy fighting policy, and we were just going to do what we could do. And so we got so to that it, point quick. And <laughs> it must feel awesome, though. I mean, I, I, mean, oh. I can't imagine. I'm still teaching at, at Columbia University in a mask, and I cannot wait to take it off because yeah. it's just so I don't know what my students yeah. look like. You know, it's just, it, it, so it must feel really good. It, it was it was very, very liberating. It was weird. You know, it's like the first day that that I walked in like without a mask, like I felt very strange, yep. but it was like, wow, I'm less congested. I'm not talking as loud. Yep. Um, I'm not sweating as much. Um, yeah, it, it felt, it felt really good. So that that's where we are. And, you know, COVID for us, we saw kind of a similar drop in instrumental uh, enrollment, mm -hmm. um, probably about 15 to 20%. Okay. Better uh, than others. Not, yeah, not, not horrible. I'm not, certainly not complaining. Uh, we lost a lot of executive skills. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if, if I'm kind of um, talking in, in nerdy band director terms, my groups right now are probably playing a full grade lower than we would normally have been playing. And that's fine. Um, but I will tell you that my, <clears throat> my morale amongst my students is higher than it's ever been in my entire career because they just love being with each other. That's and great. everybody's super positive. So you know, it had it definitely had its downs, uh, but we got through it, and we like to think that we're on the upswing now. Oh, that's awesome! Really great to hear, encouraging, and um, I'm looking forward to these podcasts and erasing that question completely. Yeah. Oh man, so, that'll be so, wonderful. 
So let's get a little heady right now um, and talk about the role of music technology in a music program. So you're, you know, you're in an interesting situation that you've got the very traditional part of your program, but you've also got this kind of innovative history of rock, songwriting, ukulele offerings as well. What do you think, um, Bill, the, the role of music technology is within a high school music program? For me, I think the biggest, the biggest plus side of the music technology for us is it allows the student to be an individual music maker if they so desire without the need for the ensemble. And so we can, we can talk about uh, form through a, a band piece that we're playing in, in the A section and the B section and the C section, what, however you're going to talk about form, but we can also talk about it through a DAW um, and we, we use Soundtrap and then they can go home individually and they can start kind of maneuvering through the DAW and exploring form. So in, in my, my youngest group right now, um, in Soundtrap, we, we've been kind of building, talking about how to layer voices into, into a song and how, how not to give the listener too much. And we just kind of finished um, working through our A sections and each kid's is different and each of them has different preferences. Um, and they can, on the individual level, they can express their musicianship. And some of them like to collaborate and that's fantastic. And they work with each other. And some of them are like, no, I've got all of these ideas in my head. Can I please just do this on my own? Because band is the largest group project you'll ever do in your life. Yep. But that's not necessarily for every kid. So if I can get those students who maybe feel a little bit constrained in the band setting in terms of their creativity and go, well, here's this tool. Show me what you can do. Oh man, I, I've learned so much about my students in the past three or four years and, and what they are capable of doing when you just kind of pull some reins off. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, it, I was a band director my whole career. And I will tell you that the only homework assignment I ever gave other than get your permission slip in, make sure you're here. On <laughs> yeah. The only homework I ever gave was practice, right? And it was literally sure. as nebulous as that. In the, in the small group lessons that I was fortunate enough to be able to teach, I'd say to the flute players, you know, I need you to work on this section of this piece for next week, right? But sure. you and I both know, I taught middle school. They didn't, they didn't practice, nope. you know, like yep. at all. The, the instruments were on the, were in the, were in the instrument storage closet. So, yeah. you know, the idea of giving homework for most ensemble directors, choir, orchestra, band, mariachi, whatever your, you know, handbells, jazz band, whatever it is, is like, yeah, homework is easy. It's just practice. But the idea of saying, no, homework is go home and do this on, in a music theory software title go home and compose and do this and bring that back and then we're going to talk about it or you know to me that i've been shouting about this bill for 30 years literally uh 34 years you don't use the technology at every moment during your teaching the no. technology is a really wonderful assistant that, that when when they're not with you um, and if, if COVID taught, I think the vast majority of music teachers, anything is it that it can do cool stuff. It's just how you integrate it. And I just want, you know, what do you like, am I crazy? Is it, you know, no, hey, in, go in, do in, homework and don't just, it's not just practice. It's go and learn about this, go and compose this. So, I mean, if we, let's take the, the good old practice quiz, right. Right. Let's, let's 
the, the idea of the practice quiz. Okay, go home and practice these bars so that you can achieve um, some type of grade on some predetermined rubric. And by the way, when you get to that practice, that effectively just assimilates you into the rest of the section. I mean, it's just like, hey, catch up to the rest of the section or get to this. It, it's, it's showing a student's ability to kind of, let's be honest, regurgitate facts. Yep. You know, and it, this, is, this is a completely tangential statement that could go off the rails, but I'm going to say it. It is, it is frustrating to hear music teachers, um, especially secondary music teachers, proclaim from the rooftops that we shouldn't be standardized testing our students. We shouldn't be putting emphasis on the SAT, the ACT, whatever. But then on the other hand, put so much emphasis on rehearse, perform, rehearse, perform, rehearse, perform, rehearse, yep. perform. And so what I do, my, if I have a playing quiz, a quote unquote playing quiz, it would usually have something to do with um, either, hey, we're going to work in kind of this scale or this modality uh, that we're going to set up for, all right, now we're going to like, you know, next week we're going to be building riffs in this key or we're going to be doing whatever. So my playing, I don't assign any playing quizzes from our concert literature. You know, if they're going to, if they're going to practice it in the ensemble setting, we talk about like holding up your end of the bargain. Right. You know, you're here oh, to hold that. up your end of the bargain. My jazz band is completely voluntary extracurricular. The requirements are that you show up and that you hold up your end of the bargain. And that if you're not willing to do that, that that's fine. That's just not your thing. Just then you're not part of that group. And so, you know, the, the stuff that I want to hear from my students and that I want them to talk to their parents about is like, look what I did. Because every time they submit something to me, I haven't heard it before. Right. You know, I mean, even you taught junior high. How many times have, have you listened to the B-flat concert scale? Yeah, a trillion. A trillion <laughs> times. So there's no, like, I mean, if I have to, like, grade a B-flat concert scale, it's like, all right, I got to take out 90 minutes of my day because I need to hear 120 people play the B-flat concert scale. And I am really not excited about that. But if I'm like, all right, we assigned, um, yeah, we were experimenting with the uh, quantization features in Soundtrap to talk about rhythmic consistency and how you introduce voices and, you know, how do you manipulate a piano roll, all that stuff. So kids had to submit, like I said, anywhere between 10 and like 35 seconds to me. And it had to use three different sounds. Then I don't know what I'm about to hear. It's right. so exciting to hit every single new student. That's such some a good them, point. <laughs> yeah, some of them, I'm like at the kitchen counter and I'm like hitting my countertop and like, grabbing my 12 year old son and be like, listen to this, listen to how cool this is. Yep. And it comes from usually the most shocking source. You know, it's the kid who, who never says anything, or it's the super, super straight laced flute player that just throw that threw down like a massive funk something. And you're like, wait a second, how, where did that come from? And so I, as an educator, am excited to see what they turned in as opposed to like, all right, we got to put a grade in the grade book. So let's do this. You know, yeah. Okay. like what's the, what's the honest point of like assessment? Like what are we exactly. actually honestly assessing? Exactly. Oh, that's great. Um, I hope a lot of people let what you just said sink in. Love it. Um, all right. So what kind of stuff did you do with technology, you know, over the last, you know, during the pandemic and, and what kind of things do you think will stick around? Well, you know, with we, we like a lot of, and districts kind of did the Zoom stuff, 
you know, when, when we were, when we were virtual. And so um, we would uh, do things like operating in DAWs, or we would, um, I opened this thing called COVID creations for my program. And it was like, listen, I don't care what instrument you're playing. I don't care what you're playing. Just shoot me something of you like participating in music. And I had everything from a kid playing Pink Floyd bass covers to a tuba and baritone duet. And so we used just kind of a lot of like, you know, kind of film yourself. Yep. And then uh, some kids got really creative with, with some DAWs. Uh, I utilized the Aurelia and musician software um, to assign just basic, like nothing that was going to stress kids out, but Hey, let's get some fundamental ear skills, oral skills going and uh, stuff like that. We would uh, have album listening. I'm not going to call them parties, but sometimes it would just be like, Hey, I hear you. shoot out an email to all my classes. Hey, uh, actually when that childish Gambino, that most recent album came out, um, the one that just has all the time codes on it. Oh yeah. 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 I said, uh, I said, all right, everybody, we'll give you like four days to listen to it. Anybody who wants to log in at this time. And we're just going to talk about how you felt about the album. And we're just going to talk about the album. So, you know, we did that. It's just an effort to kind of keep kids social and not isolated. And, and then as far as, you know, what's sticking because we, we lost so much executive skill, hmm. um, stuff like, like note flight, we have kind of put on the back burner for a little bit just because we need to build some executive skills. So we're not quite ready to explore the composition in the traditional Western notation system yet because right. of all of the scaffolding that needs to be done. That's probably still going to be a, maybe a year or two out. But we've kept the stuff in Soundtrap. We've kept the stuff in Aurelia, especially uh, in Musician. And that is, that's amazing stuff that the kids can do on their own. And um, they, they do it because it's not a practice quiz and they can do it usually in, in a pretty quick amount of time. And some of them do it on their phones. We're a one-to-one -one Chromebook school. And so that stuff is certainly not going away. I mean, that's, that's been great stuff. And we see, we see the benefits with our students with those softwares. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the bottom line is that every music teacher in the United States that has an ensemble as part of their teaching duties is going to be in rebuilding mode for the next two or maybe even three oh, years. Yeah, no question. Right. And, and for some teachers that were 20 plus years into their careers, that was an extremely painful hit. But the, yeah. I, am an, I am the eternal optimist. And I would say like after 20 something, or, you know, in your case, 17 years of teaching, being given a challenge, like, all right, we knocked you down a couple pegs, you need to come, you know, you need to rebuild the program. It's actually a cool challenge. I'd be like, all right, I, I, I have a new, I have a new cause. I have a new mission, right? I've got to rebuild my program. And then when you look at, okay, well, how does technology or how can technology help? What you just said is really important. There's some of the software is not as important right now because you've lost, you know, the executive skills, or if we were to call it like in music terms, like my kids can't play, right? Yeah, so sure. I need to get their <laughs> playing skills back up. So then you yeah. look at, all right, well, what technology will help them with that? Is it note reading? Is it, comp you know, is it recording themselves, you know, using things like Flipgrid? I got to get yeah. these kids with the horns in their faces as much as possible and use the technology that will help them. And, you know, I've said for years and years that technology is only a tool. It's just like a metronome and a tuner. Yep. 
and chalk and, and, and you know, the line drawer thing, <laughs> you know, the and, you know snap, I think the stamp writer. I think to build on that, the, the, the stickier part, I think too, is going to be that the rebounding phase is going to take a little bit longer the younger the student or yep. maybe the less motivated. I think speaking from a high school setting, our, our quote unquote top groups are going to rebound a lot quicker because by and large, those are super motivated practicers on their own. Yep. Maybe they're taking private lessons. So they're going to rebound quite quickly because they have kind of the tools and the support and all that stuff in place. But in, in our effort to want to make sure that our, our top groups are achieving, we also need to understand that some of our, our best musicians are sitting in those, those maybe those younger groups and we can't ignore them. They need that same, um, that same musical experience because when you start using these tools, uh, you, know, you, can, you can tap into different elements of that musicianship. So for example, I've got students in my younger group that if I'm being perfectly honest, are much better musicians than students that are in my top group, but maybe they don't play uh, alto saxophone or percussion right. better than the kids in the top group. But if you put uh, if you put an electric guitar in their hands, or if you set them behind a drum set or or a bass or whatever, they're going to express that. So this this edge this techno technological tools also helps validate their intelligence. Yep. while at the same time trying to get all of us to kind of be better sometimes at, at the band thing. Yeah, the, very well said. Very well said indeed. Love it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by what the next two or three years is going to bring to all of us. And I, I'm, I feel sorry for that, what I would call that lost generation of fourth and fifth graders. Um, who I don't know what it's like in Michigan when kids start instruments, um, but it, we're here in New York where I live, you know, kids start in fourth grade. Um, you know, all those fourth graders in, in fall of 2020 that just like, you know, couldn't get an instrument, couldn't figure it sure. out, didn't just yeah. said, I'm not doing it. I'll, I'll do you, I mean, do, you're at the high school, but what does yeah. it look like in your district? What are the element, you know, what does your feeder program look like? Yeah, so um, we start in sixth grade. Typically, okay, yep. uh, they have they have elementary general music uh, up until fifth, uh, but that our current seventh graders spent a year in sixth grade band with, you know, the the masks on, yep. super spaced out. Um, teacher couldn't really get close or demonstrate effectively because it's a smaller. I mean, all of that. So, I mean, effectively, we're treating our seventh graders as as beginners, and it is tough because it's you've got to keep the enthusiasm. Like my, my heart goes out to our beginning um, instrumental and choral teachers because they are the first ones who really instill that enthusiasm in that, that attitude of, no, I want to stick with this. Yeah. And that had to be so hard, man. I know. Uh, I, I, and, March, March 6, 2020, um, or March 7th, I believe it was, I, I had the honor of conducting the all county intermediate band near where I live, and it was all fifth and sixth graders. And I often think because, you know, th five days later, it was all over. And, and we had the first kid in that on honor ensemble, a trombone player, the lead trombone player was exposed and I was like exposed and, and quarantine. I was like, quarantine? What is, like, where, where are we? Right. And I just am so 
sad in a way that these i'm hoping that those yeah. kids are still playing because yeah. you know it was they had built such momentum to get to that level as beginning musicians yeah. and i just hope they're anyway it, you know i again eternal optimist i think that that that, that the road ahead is extremely bright and, you know what i think is helping too um and not to get into the traditional band stuff is that composers are writing outstanding literature yep that is super accessible. Yeah, the flex and stuff is just extraordinary. We just did, um, my high school group did Sweet Treats, which was this suite that, um, who it was uh, uh, Frank Kelly, Jen Jolly, Alex Shapiro, uh, Brian Balmages, and I think Peter Meachin, and they each wrote like a, a one-minute movement. Oh, cool. <laughs> and awesome. um, Alex Shapiro's was... Uh, it's called kitchen sink sink spelled S Y N C and, and she wrote it for, it's a percussion ensemble with like kitchen equipment. And, oh, and I emailed her to try to get some like files and stuff. And she, her response was, Oh my God, so glad you're doing this. Let me know how it goes. It's different every single time. Please, you know, take every creative license you ever want. Oh, that's awesome. And to hear like complete, like composers, understanding kind of the struggle and going, no, we're, we're going to write super amazing quality music that is accessible for seventh graders and ninth graders. It's helped immensely. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, all right. So I got two more questions for sure. you. Bill. The, 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 the first is uh, the advice question. Now you're, um, as I said in the intro, you're the current president of the Michigan Music. I mean, what a what a great tenure, right? You had two oh. years of absolute just oh man chaos, and I had to hire an executive director in that time. Oh my god! So <laughs> anyway, so from that kind of position and seeing everything that you've seen over the last two years, what advice would you give to other music teachers who are thinking of incorporating? technology into their programs moving forward i mean it, it's a silly question because everyone did pretty much yeah, but like sure. you know for the for the road ahead sure well i think you mentioned it earlier the idea that it is just a tool and that um you know we i think we as just humans we love new toys and so you know the new hot thing comes out the new hot phone the new hot game system the new hot whatever comes out and we kind of want that and it's so easy to sink a whole lot of budget dollars yep. into tools that you're not really going to use and so you know my advice is always find your problem of practice i guess to use a, a super pedagogical term and what what need is that techno technology going to fill yep um is is it how is it going to enhance your classroom what barriers is it going to break down um how is it going to make your instruction more equitable for all of your students uh and and how is it going to demonstrate their creativity how is it going to honor where they're coming from you know all of those things it's it's so easy to be like, oh man, it's this, it's this uh, amazing new practice room that's completely soundproof and and da 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 da, and go, all right, yeah, that's what that's what we want. Well, is that really is that going to feed your students? Is that what what they're going to need? I mean, I know that maybe the school next door has got the the new fancy whatever, but does is that really what your school needs? So. You know, don't don't be intimidated by what others have. Know your program because you know it better than anybody else does. Know your students, 
and what tools are going to enable them to create and think and analyze and be the most authentic musicians that they can be. I love it. I mean, if, if, if the last two years has taught us anything, we've had plenty of time to think. No kidding. Right. And think about the shortcomings of our own programs. No music educator will say it out loud. Oh, well, my, this part of my program is terrible or this part, no one, because we're all, you know, we're all musicians and therefore we all have our egos. And especially if you're an ensemble director, like I was, and you are, you you know, you don't actually go around saying, this is what's terrible about my program. But if you really do a little reflection and, and think critically about what about my program could I improve? Why am I not getting these marks at this contest? Why is my jazz ensemble, why are they not great improvisers? How come my kids, when I give them a piece of music, it takes them three weeks before they can read it? You know, if you do that type of program evaluation and critical reflection about your own teaching and what your program really needs, in some cases, there are technology tools that are absolutely ideal. And then, you know, like you said, I just got an Oculus Quest 2, which I'm like completely, my brain is exploding. But you yeah. know, that doesn't mean I need to bring it into the classroom. Because sure. If sure. that's not what my program needs. My program, like when I taught middle school, my kids did not read music at all until, you know, it was it was a brutal struggle for them to get a piece to what I would call playing, you know, like a able to be played in front of people. It was a struggle. So it was like note, literally note reading, rhythm reading. And if you really do a little reflection, like you just said, there are tools that can help you. It doesn't, they're not always technology based. Sometimes they are right in front of your face. Yeah. You know, it's, but yeah, I I, I love that advice, Bill. Thank you. And so uh, the last question is a, a magic wand question, which I ask of everyone. And that is, if you could wave a magic wand and have either music first or music technology in general do something that it can't do now, what would it be? Well, you know, so <laughs> I've been thinking about this question because part of the question, it's okay. Yeah, I, I liken it to when I ask my history of rock and roll students at the end of the semester, hey, what do you think the next step for music is? And one kid one year went, I don't know. That's why I'm not doing it. Oh, <laughs> and, you know, and it's kind of like, we, we, you know, what is, what is, what could it be doing that it's not doing? Um, you know, I, I, I hope that it continues in this trend of making the act of music creation and the act of music publication cheaper and more accessible. Yeah. You know, um, you, I mean, you, very well know what it would have cost 20 years ago to make even an independently an indie ep i mean it would have cost dollars that none of our our students and families have and now with a phone and a relatively decent microphone you can you can do that stuff um you know and as 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 i kind of look for like all right well what do i hope comes next I'm trying to find ways to, for my students to see, you know, they've got their subscription to Soundtrap now through our school subscription. And then once they leave, how do they then transfer uh, all of yeah. that stuff into their adult life, you know? Yep. So like, I've got a, a senior this year that that's graduating and, and going to the, uh, to the air force Academy. Wow, and he's like, I've got, cool. I've got all of this stuff in Soundtrap that we've been doing for three years, for four years, and I really, really like it. Am I going to lose all that? And I'm like, well, 
looks like I got to email Jay, <laughs> and see, you know, and see how, how this can happen. I was like, you know, at, at worst, I guess, export everything as a MIDI file and, and we'll see what we can, what we can do there. But, um, it's I would a good, hope that it just, that's a really good problem to have. And, and yeah, Jay, if, if anyone can help you, yep. it's Jay. Um, yep. but I completely hear that loud and clear the idea of, you know, it, it, the, the process should continue when they leave. Yes. Yeah. Because that's, I mean, let's be honest. That's the whole reason we're here. Exactly. We, we, we talk about this. We want to build lifelong music learners. And yeah. I tell my kids, listen, unless you're writing me a check for nine grand, I'm not sending the tuba with you when you graduate. Exactly. So if we're going to like talk this big talk of lifelong music learners, then we need to make sure that when they leave our classroom, they are set up for lifelong music making. And so, um, yeah, services like that and yeah, I, I mean, that's that's really probably the best I can come uh, up with right that, now. That is, that is such a good and positive note uh, to end on, Bill. Thank you so much uh, for joining. I, I really have enjoyed our conversation. I'm sure the listeners love listening to you as much as I have. I wish you the best in the rest of your couple of months of tenure uh as as president of MSC thanks. and uh and have a great rest of the school year and i look forward to seeing you again all right thanks jim all right be well thank you for listening to profiles in teaching with technology from music first for more information about music first please visit www.musicfirst.com if you would like to stay up to date with other music teachers doing innovative things in their classrooms with technology please subscribe to our podcast through whatever outlet you listen to podcasts on. Thanks for listening.